welcome to another episode of our Crisis Management Podcast. The conversation we're sharing today is a bit different from some of our past episodes. Kelly Griesmer leads the Women's Fund, a nonprofit that, like all such organizations, is searching for ways to make up for fundraising lost as COVID-19 canceled vital events this spring. But that's not all we talk about. She also shares her expertise on how and why the coronavirus crisis is affecting women so dramatically. Yes, the term she-session comes up and how this moment represents a chance to make fundamental shifts in society in the interest of equity and equality. It's a fascinating conversation, and I hope you'll enjoy it. First thing I wanted to ask, to kind of set the scene, can you just tell me a little bit about the Women's Fund and uh, sort of what do you do normally? So the Women's Fund is a public foundation founded almost 20 years ago with the mission of transforming the lives of women and girls using the collective power and passion of all people working together. So the idea of that was that 20 years ago, people really weren't talking about social change the way that they do today. That was a pretty new and um, un- under, uh, uh, not understood concept that um, the women who founded us thought that there was so many wonderful outlets for direct service in our community. But what they knew was that people weren't investing in women and girls and the funding that women and girls need to actually get past gender norms, get past the biases that people have placed around us and actually become everything they're supposed to be as member, as for themselves and as members of our economy. And so um, we've always raised funds to do three principal things, and that is to commission research that helps us figure out how to invest, be courageous investors in women in the community, and you need research, you need data to understand how to do that. So we've done about five research projects over the course of the 20 years. We then have always, from year one, made grants. Um, Those grants have increased over time. Now we've given almost $4 million in grants um, in all money that we've raised and then put back into the community, but with a gender lens, focusing only on programs that actually get to the root causes of women's uh, empowerment and invest in those things. So we're looking how, especially now, how to economically empower women and how to have them become the leaders that they want to be and and the impactful leaders that they want to be, no matter where that is in the community. So we do the research, we make the grants, and then of course we do advocacy where we go out and we try to explain to people this data that you know a less than two percent of funding goes directly to women even today philanthropic dollars so our funding is so unique in that way and that we do everything and we're trying to change that that formula um so that there's money actually targeted for the programs that are affecting women and girls mm-hmm. and um so those are our, our our three uh main main avenues so has the, you know, this coronavirus crisis, has it changed anything either just logistically for the work you're doing or, you know, kind of shifted your mission in any way? Certainly has not shifted our mission. Um, I can tell you that it has impacted us greatly. Um, one of the best community building moments we had and one of the best fundraising moments we had have every year, uh, at least to date, has been a very large uh, community building event called Keyholder. Um, It happens every May and it did not happen this year. We had just started selling tickets and had, so in any event, couldn't do it. Um, And so we're obviously have had to pivot 
um, and getting our message out to people that we still intend to do our work um, and that we know that we are needed now more than ever. That's been a tough one, um, obviously, <laughs> to work around that fundraiser. We usually have a very, uh, we usually have a speaker come every year. Um, so we've had a very wide range of people, starting with Gloria Steinem almost 20 years yeah. ago came, and then we've had uh, Melissa Etheridge and Vanessa Williams and America, America Ferreira, you know, numerous people over the years. And we had another great speaker this year that never even got announced because that's when everything changed. So uh, other than on that fundraising front, our mission is very much, very much the same because what we know in what we are seeing and what you'll see in all the articles you start to pull up is that a situation, a crisis like this amplifies inequities and inequalities. And yeah. the reason that you're seeing uh, so many articles now calling this a, a she session, if you will, is because the things that we've been telling people about uh, women's uh, need to be economically empowered and our need for equitable solutions that understand that women very much are a business case for an improved economy on all fronts, and yet we're not investing in them at all. Mm -hmm. um, and that there's a wealth gap that we know exists and we could fix and it would be better for the greater good of everyone. And we're just not taking those steps in our society and we need to push for that now more than ever. This is a historic time to say, we, we, we don't like what's happening to us, but we can rebuild our society differently. We don't have to recover all the things we've been doing. We can rebuild. And uh, so we have to do that. So that's, I was going to ask about the term she session. And I guess the question is, so is it that the crisis is impacting women differently than it's impacting men or just that it's kind of laying bare these structural issues that are already there? I would say, I would say the latter. You know, it's interesting. They say that the, that the last recession was called a man session. Mm -hmm. um, but if you think about it, there was a lot of job losses and very high paying high value jobs then, banks and uh, investment firms went out of business and all kinds of things that are, are needed help. And this is a crisis that is striking people, you know, that, 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 that the workers who are doing the lower pay, no, lower wage, less valued jobs are getting hit hard. You know, our servers, our, our um, child care workers. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be valued, but traditionally those roles are lower paid. And the grand majority of women, you know, women work in the grand majority of those jobs mm -hmm. as opposed to men. So when you see restaurants closed, when you see hairstyling places uh, closed, nail salons closed, these aren't even, these are not only where women work, it's the businesses they own. So even if they've been trying to accumulate wealth, they've been closed. But I think perhaps the most stark example is childcare, mm -hmm. because even the businesses that are at the highest tier of our, of our valued role, you know, our valued employment positions, those women need childcare. And yet we were looking at opening the economy with, with no good answer for what was going to happen with childcare, which shows a major inequity for women. People, women can be as smart as hardworking. Um, and the one thing they need is someone to know that their children are safe and well taken care of while they're adding to our economy and doing their job. And yet that was the last thing that anyone was looking at with regard to how to open companies was what's going to happen to all those children during the day. Mm -hmm. And so for us, it's to your point, laying bare the inequities in the way that we decide policy, we decide businesses opening without thinking of female experience or that, you know, many grand majority of single parents are women and mm -hmm. they're working to, to keep their families alive. And so how can we miss that piece? We just, we can't afford to do it going forward. 
So what can be done or what do you want to see done to try and change some of this? As I step back and think about it, it, it actually is an easier answer than a lot of people would think. Um, I think we, we do a lot of programming through our research over the years. What, what we've realized is that most people don't realize the norms that they've grown up with, the implicit biases that they have. Um, all of us, uh, including myself, have blind spots and we, you, we see them every day. And what I've learned through doing this work is how to be more cognizant of that. How to think about the fact that though I am a woman, I, I, I am not a black woman and I don't understand what she's been going through. But I do know that our wealth gap research shows that a black woman's wealth is only about two cents to the dollar for a man throughout the country and in central Ohio. And what that means is we've not given that piece of our, that, that, that very robust portion of our population the ability to even accumulate wealth, which means they can get out of crisis. Mm -hmm. You know, they can fix a, a flat tire. They can pay for a new window at their home. And so I think that what we've been trying to help people understand is that no matter where you sit in the community, no matter what company you're at, we can argue about paid leave and how many weeks that is or uh, how much the pay should be. We can argue about childcare and what's affordable and what's reasonable. But what you see is that most people don't even think of it. You know, they're not even thinking of childcare as, as something that people often with a female identity need to, um, and it's not, and the business case would be if we think about that, if we're vulnerable enough to say, I missed it, I missed it. This isn't about pointing figures, fingers, but I miss the fact that these women can't get back to work and be productive um, without childcare. So I'm gonna step back, I'm gonna think about what that experience is like, and I'm gonna try to help them. I'm, I'm gonna open those childcare centers, or I'm gonna get past the fact that, you know, the, even the servers and the restaurants that we so desperately wanna open can't go to work. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a matter of all of us shifting our perspectives and saying equity, we will never reach equality without equity. And equity means that you consider other people's experiences and you actually realize that giving them sort of a step toward success isn't going to actually impact your success at all. You mm -hmm. know, if you're, if you're not a parent and don't need childcare, the fact that someone else has their childcare and can show up and do their job in another department at your work probably still makes your job better. No one lost anything. And frankly, the business will do better. The economy will do better. So even if there's some costs at your business related to that childcare step, it's um, people think, oh, there was an immediate uh, impact to our bottom line, but they're not thinking about the longer game. Mm -hmm. And it, it's really time for us to step back, have that vulnerability, think about equities as a business case. And then we actually change our, our entire community for the better. And, you, and that's actually how you get to the root of things like poverty that most, most people would tell you would be the first thing they, they would want to fix. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody wants it, but they can't fix it because they can't, can't understand the experience. So what are, you obviously mentioned that the Women's Fund, like a lot of nonprofits, had to cancel an event. You're going to be feeling some fundraising crunches. How are you solving that problem and and also what steps are you taking to kind of evangelize for this you know point of view that you're talking about right now 
So it's a great question. Um, I think that we, you know, any nonprofit right now is really smart to think about their base. You know, um, when I, when we were founded 20 years ago by 15 women, you know, we were, we had to spread in sort of a grassroots way. And there are people that have understood our mission and have been with us for the last almost 20 years. And so we're talking to them a lot um, about why they invested in the beginning when they took that risk, that leap of faith and invested in a fund that had never existed before. Those are, I think most nonprofits would find that turning to those people first, it makes sense, right? Those, those are, those are your, your greatest warriors, your, your cheerleaders. And then we're also, um, you know, trying to, then, you know, we've touched all these communities over the years through this large event. And so we're really looking at how we've communicated with all those different people to understand that they are a piece of, of the puzzle. You know, very often when people go to a nonprofit event and they go and they have fun, um, we, we like to believe that ours was really fun. The danger you have is they forget they're part of the mission. They, they forget that they didn't just come to a social event that night or they didn't just go to a play or a concert. They went to a fun event that was like a play or a concert, but it was, it was generating revenue for a very important mission. And so I think all of us have to dig deep and realize that when we've created these experiences, did we connect the dots on our mission? You know, did we help people understand what an important piece of the mission they are? Because those, frankly, those folks who are buying those tickets to our event we're helping us to make the grants that we make every fall. We wouldn't have been able to make over three and a half million dollars in grants in 15, in, in 19 years without their, their ticket sales. Mm -hmm. So as a nonprofit, I think we're looking at all those audiences and yes, you have to talk with them differently. And, mm -hmm. um, but they're there, they've had an experience with us um, at varying ranges. And so of course we're trying to meet people where they are. I do think that then what we do is we do what we do. We've already been working with our grant partners. We had 28 of them this year um, that we had given grants to for social change programming that was supposed to be happening over the course of uh, 2020. Some of them have had to pivot. You know, if they were doing programming for girls in schools, we've helped them to pivot the funding we gave them to make that programming still available in some way. There are five ways to do social change and one of them is holding the line meaning that we don't lose ground on, on progress we've already made. And right now we dig deep on that one because you know that you know, those young women that were getting programming at their school, it will still be wonderful if they get that programming. And it may not look the way we thought at the beginning of the year, um, but we're gonna work with that grant partner. In no way do you take those grant funds back. No way, even if the program changes quite a bit, uh, do you take it back. And we're taking some of the restrictions back from, you know, a lot of times when you're doing grant making, you know, you do check-ins, you do trainings with these grant partners. Right now, they're working really hard to keep those programs going. And that's what we need. That's mm -hmm. how you maintain social change. You don't give up. So we're doing that. We're looking at the research angles, what we should be looking at. You know, we did a wealth gap report about a year ago uh, that told us uh, about what, what the status of women was. That's how we learned that the wealth gap, especially for women of color, is really bad. And, and that's not just the pay gap. That's the wealth gap. But now what we know is that there's, there's going to be implications and we have to look at research that might be related to that. And certainly then with regard to advocacy, I'm out all the time talking like this about the fact that the, the fact that, this, that you're going to read articles about women um, being disproportionately negatively affected Absolutely. And it's not okay. Mm -hmm. And we are not going to go back to where we were. It, it is our responsibility, having gone through this experience, having written the articles, having seen what's happening to these women and their families, to change it.
Mm-hmm. And we'll be at the front line telling people you can't ignore it. You can't ignore we, we've Childcare has been one of our tenants, our strategic tenants for years. And I'm not backing down now because <laughs> it was so clear. It is so clear right now how important childcare is to our economy. Are you still going to be able to make grants this year? Or are you concerned that, you know, not being able to have that event is going to hamper that? Yes, we're going to make grants. It's not that I'm not concerned, but I don't have a choice. Um, I, this is why I do the work that I do and it's not going to be easy this year. And I'm going to have to have really, really frank conversations with donors about why they love that work. They love that grant making. Um, there's 250 people that read our grants every year. Ours is a participatory grant making program, which means the the community comes in and reads the grants. They score them and tell us what they think is going to create social change. And then we use their recommendations as part of our decision-making. So we have a, a pretty big army of people who care about this program. But they're going to have to think about whether they can help us raise the dollars. But the the good news is um, we, uh, as a fund that was created on our own, sort of out of the earth, um, we also have an endowment um, that we uh, smartly created. Uh, It's not the hugest endowment on the planet, but it will help. And so so we're certainly looking, but that's another wealth building tool. You know, we actually, um, I I think all of us always wish we had done even a little bit better, but um, we created a wealth building tool for us that in a state of crisis would help us. And that's what we want all women to be able to do, to have something that will help them through a crisis so they can still do the work that they want to do. How, as a, a, a business or an organization, how big is your team at the Women's Fund? How many people on staff do you have? You know, right now um, we have six of us. Okay. And that's pretty small. Um, we were actually going through um, some, some reorganizations as we approach our 20th uh, anniversary. We were actually thinking about who we could be, you know, for our next 20 years. So the team's a little smaller right now as uh, I've been the CEO for about 15, 16 months now. And we were right in the process of looking at how, how to kind of build our staff and then this happened. So the good news is we have um, people in, in all of our key positions, um, but we are hustling. You know, we, uh-huh. we are a team right now for sure, but we have a, a really great supportive board, always have, and also, you know, ex- uh, committee members and people who can support us as well to, to help with that. So did you have to make any any cuts or you just wanted to do some adding that you weren't able to do? Yeah, we have not cut uh, the staff right now. Uh, We actually were lucky enough uh, early in the process to apply for one of the PPP loans and uh, were able to get one in the first round. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly that helped since the fundraiser didn't happen sort of right um, at the beginning of our our fourth quarter of our fiscal year. But we, um, so no, our our staff is is intact. And really we were just already small because uh, a little smaller than usual because of the planning we were doing for evolution. So what gives you kind of stepping out big picture, what gives you any sense of optimism that some of these things can be fixed as we come out of this? I really believe people are getting perspective that they've never had before. We've just been forced into an environment that none of us understood. Um, and so and none of, most of us didn't really see coming. And I, so I use as an example that I was talking to a colleague, a wonderful guy who very thoughtful and he was being very, you know, honest with me in a conversation. And he said, you know, I, I, on my work days, it's really hard. I've been telling my colleagues that I really can't get to my desk until noon and to start responding to calls and having meetings because my wife and I both work and I have a son who's being homeschooled and there's just so much to do. And it's so hard because I feel like people don't feel like I'm committed and they don't feel like I'm paying attention to, to work. And I listened. And as someone who's worked 
since the day I got out of school and after having a child, I just waited. And then I said, you realize that's how working mothers have felt every day of their lives. Yeah. Right. This isn't new, but he'd never had to experience that guilt of uh, the baby's crying or just, you know, burped up all over my shoulder in my suit while I'm trying to do a business call or, you know, um, we women, that's a, that's a quintessentially female identity. Mm-hmm moment where you feel guilty about work, you feel guilty about your child, you feel guilty about the fact that there's dust on the floor. I think there's a lot of men that are starting to understand that experience a little better. And so, um, and that's what we all have to do. You know, I don't understand their experience. And so me hearing him talk about it really helped me understand his experience. And that understanding allows us to actually come up with equitable solutions because, you know, they always say, you're so much more likely to help someone when you know them or you feel like you know them. And we are the most, you know, in a, in a technologically rich society, we've become better and better at not really knowing people and not really having to see people other than what they post or, you know, what they text. I hope it gives me some optimism for sure that when he and I could have a great exchange like that, and he knew that I understood what he was feeling and maybe he understood how I felt for a lot of my career, we could, we could maybe come up with a smarter solution together now um, for some of the people we don't know that work in our companies or our, our community that, that um, just want that little boost and, and a little bit of understanding. Great perspective, I think, for everybody. I know I don't have kids, but I am certain that I'm trying constantly to think about the people that I'm interacting with who are also trying to, you know, parent their children while doing all of this and, and how challenging well, it is. So. And that's the vulnerability is you don't know, mm-hmm. right? So I'm not, you know, that's why people say, oh, you know, do you hate men? Of course not. You know, I've had amazing male mentors and friends and colleagues and uh, sponsors. And, and I think that they really tried to understand me and, and help me along. But I also know, and I know the barriers at the moments where we couldn't understand each other and we mm-hmm. lost. It's really an openness that people have to have. And it's the great news is it's within our power. It doesn't cost anything have that to have that empathy and to have that perspective it just costs something to come up with the solutions <laughs> mm-hmm. uh well, let's see what did i not ask you about that you wanted to be sure to talk about well i think that the one thing that i would say is that as people really think about this economic you know down there's a there's a lot to say about i, I would say two things first of all women are absolutely being disproportionately affected and that is because Number one, it, well, it's very odd. We're sort of both ends of the spectrum. On the one hand, women work in some of the lowest paying, least valued jobs, and we didn't pick those jobs. Those jobs picked us. You know, that we women are not offered and don't have open doors, regardless of Title IX or anything else that you see. It's still very hard to work. Uh, especially if you're coming from a background where you've not been given a lot of opportunity or privilege, it's very hard to become one of the higher paid, more valued employees at any company. So women work in a lot of those roles and they work in a lot of those roles because they need childcare or and because there's not good enough childcare. So they net, women aren't going to choose between my child's unsafe or they will literally not take a better job because they need to stay home for their child. Very few people of male experience need to make that decision. Mm-hmm. You just don't see it. So people, however, on the reverse spectrum, women are also the grand majority of essential workers right now. If they are the childcare workers in open, in open you know, centers, if nurses, 
doctors, dental hygienists, you know, they are also oddly enough at the front line of the people who are essential and have none of the supports to be out there in the workforce doing their essential work. So it's really important to think that women are being impacted at both ends of that spectrum. And that women though, the unemployment numbers, we were at an unprecedented high with women on payrolls and we've wiped out about a decade of progress in a couple of months. People can't misunderstand that. And the reason was our economy, our employment was tight you know, and people were starting to figure out how to include women because they needed them. They needed women on their payrolls. And now the first thing that people do is let that go. Mm-hmm. You know, diversity goes, uh, if you don't have the jobs that you need people in anymore, the women are the first ones to go because they were probably just making their way up the ladder as it was. But it's important for people to realize society has forced us to choose those lower paid, lower valued jobs. It's not what we want. And we will be a bigger part of this economy if people solve this problem differently. The second point I would say is that people need to think about the fact also um, there's not all gloom and doom here. The majority of the leaders in our world, not our country, our, our country to some extent, but in our world that have handled this crisis the best are women. Mm-hmm. And I don't want that story to be lost either. They, the, the fact that women have such diverse experiences, that they not only work in the realm of female identity, but many of them have learned from the male identity because we have to, to succeed. Um, has given them a diversity of opinion and an ability to take risk in a crisis. It is a risk to take safety measures. Mm -hmm. And the people who took the risk of taking safety measures the earliest, you know, including Dr. Acton, um, advising our own governor, they have that people are saying women are risk averse. They're so cautious. It wasn't cautious to close. It was a huge risk. Mm-hmm. And we see people constantly going after them for having done something to save lives. But I know the New York Times put out a story last night that said, had we just closed a week or two earlier, we would have saved even more lives. Let's not think about how cautious women are. Let's think about how well thought out they are, how they were ahead of the curve in, the, in many of the countries in the world, and that their leadership, their ability to be leaders who understand the appropriate risk, not recklessness, risk to take at the right time is it has been key and we can learn from that and and if we aren't concerned that some of the best leaders in our world don't have the attorney don't don't have the ability or the opportunity to lead we're not thinking about the problem Mm -hmm. you know we we know had we maybe invested in a few more women leaders in this country we might be in a different place in a lot of ways as well so um, we really want people to value the women around them and give them those chances Seems like maybe we should all move to New Zealand is the thing that I <laughs> learned from this. So they don't want us right now. <laughs> Borders are closed up tight. So that's right. that's right. That's right. Listen, we know it's hard and that's not, we're, you know, we're not trying to make a political statement, but mm-hmm. um, I do think it's instructive to realize that there are, are countries that have done it differently. And a lot of people, it's been very successful and, and uh, we should look at the people who've been making those decisions and learn from them. Well, great, Kelly. I think that uh, covers a lot of great ground. It was an interesting conversation. So thank you so much. Yeah, for absolutely. Great. Thank you for the opportunity. All yeah. right. Take care.